my mantra and, and my mentality is to seek a broader a broader voice from from the community um, try and hear as many people from different backgrounds different 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 demographics as we can so that we can truly understand what the community needs and wants at that time uh, and not just bow down to the people who I guess are the loudest. Today on Dirty Linen, we are wrapping up a week of talking about representation in the hospitality industry. And I'm really thrilled that we are winding up with Jacob Bettier, who I met a few weeks ago through his new business, Homes Hall, which has opened in um, the delightful suburb of Mooney Ponds. Um, Jacob and his two business partners also have Ascot Lot. And I guess they're a young crew and they're really about transforming neighbourhoods from what they have been into what they wish they were. So, uh, Jacob, thank you very much for coming along and having a chat to Dirty Linen today. Thanks for having me, Danny. I just have to tell you before we um, before we talk about you, I just want to tell you what I've done today, and that is woken up in Canberra and then driven to Sydney, and uh, it's been a really quite startling uh, trip for me because, as you well know, um, hasn't been easy to get out of Melbourne this year, and uh, it was really quite emotional and moving to jump on a plane yesterday and fly to Canberra and I had a real moment of fondness and fondness and I don't know I felt really moved by Melbourne as we um as we went up through the clouds and you know up into the blue sky above and I just felt like Melbourne had just really looked after me this year and got me through and as much as it was really fantastic to go somewhere else and travel is always fun it was I really had a feeling of appreciation for Melbourne as I departed my fair home city. Um, and the other thing that seems a little bit relevant to, I guess, what you guys are doing this summer is that I've just literally got out of the car in Sydney about five minutes ago, wandered up Pitt Street, and I'm actually quite overwhelmed by how crowded and normal everything feels. It does, even though Melbourne and Sydney are similar in so many ways, I guess we celebrate our differences as well. But right now, like landing here, there's not a mask in sight and um, it just feels like a very different reality. Like this city has been through a very different 2020 to what we've been through in Melbourne. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I had the same. I, um, I went up to see my sister in Brisbane a couple of uh, last week actually for a day um, and I felt that same feeling when I left Melbourne. It sort of was a little bit scary, I guess. I did feel protected in Melbourne despite the the challenges that we've faced this year. Um, but landing in Brisbane was like landing in a different world. Yeah, well, I, I feel like perhaps we've had a, a similar experience and it's, it's I don't know, it, it makes me feel hopeful for normality and a little bit, yeah, a little bit freaked out, as you say, or as you kind of said, as I'm extrapolating. But it's just, um, yeah, even though Melbourne had a very shut-in shut year for a large part of it, I did have a feeling that, you know, it was because we all needed to look after one another and, you know, uh, we've come out the other side. Melbourne's certainly certainly much busier at the moment, um, but I don't think it feels anything quite like what I've just, <laughs> like, ploughed my way through on Pitt Street. But anyway, um, this isn't my therapy session. This is to hear uh, more about you and what you're doing. And what I would love to talk about is the business that you've created this year, but also the reason that we're catching up with you particularly is that you have also become a local councillor for the city of Mooney Valley. And as we talk about hospitality and representation, I really would love to chat a lot about that. But Jacob, um, I'm finally going to stop talking. Please introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us what you've been up to through 2020. 
Well, yeah, 2020 hasn't been, uh, it wasn't on anyone's radar, I suspect. Um, but so, yeah, I'm, I'm a local councillor. I've been, I was elected as a local councillor for the city of Mooney Valley. Um, and I also have been running the Ascot lot uh, for the past three years with my partner, David, and my best friend, Lachlan. Um, we were always, uh, we were, we started the work on Holmes Hall last year, um, which is uh, a mammoth, uh, big, you know, huge 400-seat uh, uh, venue in uh, Mooney Ponds. It's an old supermarket, so it was an old uh, continental delicatessen that we've decked out into a mess hall. Um, and that was due to open in April. It was actually due to open the day after um, they announced the restrictions. Um, but we very quickly worked out or saw the writing on the wall in March. Um, so we put a hold on that. Um, we put our attention into our other business, which is Fizz and Hop, the bottle shop that we have located in the same uh, building as Holmes Hall. Um, most people know it from the Get on the Beers mural that's on the side. Um, and that sort of went quite viral. Uh, it sort of became a bit of uh, the imagery of COVID hospitality in Victoria. Um, and so that's where we put our energy into that. For people who don't know what Dan Andrews has got to do with Get On The Beers, can you explain that? Oh, right. Yeah. So um, Dan Andrews, I think it was probably in about May or so um, when they were, it could have been later, uh, when he was talking about the restrictions. Uh, and the restrictions were first come, be, being imposed. Uh, he made the famous saying, um, now's not the time to get on the beers. Um, and I believe Mashman Kutcher um, was the, uh, the one to have remixed that into the Get On The Beers remix, um, which we sort of, oh, well, someone in our business took the liberty of um, taking a bit of uh, artistic uh, styling on that and so the side of our building has a big mugshot of Dan Andrews with get on the beers on the side. Yeah it was a bit of a catchphrase wasn't it? It was like is it time to get on the beers yet? Is it time to get on the beers yet? And I guess finally for Melbourne it is time to get on the beers and that's what allowed you to finally open Holmes Hall which um, can you just tell the story of the um, the lady who had the supermarket as it was before you came to the business? I think that's just a lovely story. Yeah um, so I guess background when we we opened the Ascot when we we own the Ascot lot um, and Melbourne weather as you can probably hear it now um, isn't always um, so kind. Uh, the Ascot lot being a most uh, mainly outdoor venue, um, we needed something that had a little bit more cover, something that we could use as a year-round bar. So we actually looked on Holmes Road at a property just down the road from the current Holmes Hall, which was a much smaller little shop that was looking we were looking to do like a fifty-seat bar. Um, on the walk home from looking at that property, we actually found a Holmes Hall, uh, which at that time was Russo's Delicatessen. Uh, and on the, the walls were all boarded up and the, the doors were all locked, but there was a little A4 sign that says, uh, for lease, uh, contact Antonia. So I called, uh, nobody answered, um, but we, we sort of took some photos and thought, yeah, that place is amazing. It needed a lot of work, but it was amazing. Um, the next day I got a call from... Uh, really sweet old Italian lady uh, named Antonia. Um, she gave me the story that her and her husband, Vince, had owned the property for 50 years and, well, had owned, so it's three properties that have been joined together. Um, over the 50 years, she bought each of the properties and joined them. Um, and she has been running Russo's supermarket for the last 50 years. Sadly, um, 2018, in April, Vince passed away. Um, and so without a partner in crime, she decided she just couldn't hack it. She couldn't run the shop anymore. 
Um, so one day she just walked out, closed the door, and and, and left, and left all the stock in 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 the in the uh, supermarket as well. So, um, and that's when we came in; all the stock was still there. And was it was there anything salvageable? Like, was there anything you thought, oh yeah, we can sell that? Well, she's thrifty, Antonia. She tried to sell us quite a lot of the old wine. It was hard to convince her that old wine doesn't necessarily mean it's worth a lot of money. I mean, a lot of the wine was cheap Lambrusco that. Uh, was quite sour by that point, um, but uh, um, yeah, there, there wasn't that much. Um, we we did look. Uh, we kept some of the tin tomatoes that are on display at Holmes Hall, um, just just for memories. Um, but no, uh, there wasn't much. Yeah, right. It actually that story reminds me of my brother and his wife who bought a place. Um, they were they bought it from. Of an old a widow such like Antonia and Mrs Jakubovich had lived in the house like her whole married life she had no family her husband had passed away many years before and the house was full of furniture and knickknacks and just everything and she felt that you know not only were they getting this great house and you know she they did she did give them an amazing deal on the house she wanted it to go to a nice young Jewish couple and that was my brother and his wife and um, but she was she thought that the fact that the house came with everything in it was an amazing bonus for them, and for me I just felt like oh my god that would that would be my worst nightmare. But they they really honoured her, and at their wedding, like just one example of what they did was all the bits of scrap like wire and metal and everything that were in her um, husband's shed, which had been untouched for decades. They put into a big pile, and at their wedding, everybody was encouraged to twist a few bits of wire together, and we formed it into a chandelier, which hung in their lounge room forevermore and I just thought that was just such a nice way it was so sweet and it was like and they visited Mrs Jakubovich in the old age home that she moved to until she died and I just thought oh my god that is just it's so lovely and in fact they turned out to be exactly the right young Jewish couple to have her family home but yeah home's hall that's beautiful well, that's sort of a little bit with us. It's similar to us in a way uh, with Antonia. We, we, we've tried our best to get her to come over and have a meal, um, but slowly she's getting there. I don't think she's ready yet to see the place be turned into um, a restaurant, but hopefully we should get her down there soon. That'll be really emotional. That'll be so special. I hope she loves it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, me too. So... <laughs> Tell us about, you know, your your journey as a business owner and how that led you to want to run for council. Um, I guess it started off, my associations with council started off a little bit negatively, I suppose. Um, I was 21 uh, and went to open the Ascot lot. Had no experience in hospitality at the time. Uh, definitely had no experience in planning. Um, so when I came to council and said I want to open a food truck park with nine food trucks um, across you know 500 square meters, they sort of just laughed at me and pointed at me and pointed the other way um, and said I need to get a planning consultant. Now at that point I really had no money. Um, I had enough money to get the place fit out, but that was about it. So a planning consultant was just something I didn't budget for. So I went down the path of, of writing our planning applications for um, the venues. Uh, and the liquor licensing and that sort of thing. Um, and over the years, I sort of came to realise, and as, as I've done that uh, since with Fizz and Hop and Home Soul, I started to wonder why we couldn't have a, a more uh, approachable uh, response from council, a more consultative response that um, supported young people like me, young people interested in business, young people in hos- interested in hospitality, 
and sort of grabbed their hand and took them along that journey. Um, and so that we can, you know, encourage locals to invest in the area, but not only that, but to create experiences for everyone else in the area and to really improve our, our, our way of life. Um, I just felt that wasn't being done. Uh, I felt there wasn't enough focus on that. Uh, and so I guess that led me to get more and more involved in the ins and outs of council, uh, watching council meetings and the like. And from here, uh, from there, I guess I, I just took the plunge when it was council elections came up. That is really amazing because how old are you now? 25. And are you the youngest councillor in the city of Mooney Valley? No, there's actually one younger than me. You bet me by six months. Um, <laughs> no way. Unfortunately, so unfortunately, I don't get to take that title. But um, no, yeah, we're quite a young bunch in Mooney Valley. I think the um, average age since the last council went down by about 20 years. That is so interesting. I mean, what do you think that's about? Like, do you feel like there's some sort of generational change? Or do you think perhaps there's something specifically about that part of Melbourne, that sort of northwest um, part of uh, suburban part of Melbourne, that particularly is ready for change? I mean, what, what do you think it is? I think that, I think there's a couple of factors. I think one element is the changing demographic of the area. So Mooney Ponds, for instance, we have a lot of new apartment buildings that are favouring younger um, couples, um, young professionals. Um, and so the dominance of the electorate uh, was traditionally um, older migrants or older Europeans is now slowly becoming more and more uh, younger um, from mixed descent, um, and that would have had some weighting into you know um, the candidates that were selected. Um, but I also think the the general mood of the area, and that probably has to do with the developments that are coming along, but the need for more recreation, the need for more uh, amenity, whether that's through parks or whether that's through restaurants and bars, the need for that has become more and more. So I think as a community, we've become less conservative and we're open to looking at younger candidates who might come to council with fresh perspectives. So I think that's what's sort of been the crux of it. Mm. And does it feel like you're getting into politics or does it feel like you're getting into community building? Um, well, somebody came into council the other day, a, a consultant of some, so, of some kind, and referred to me as, as a politician and I sort of sat back in my chair and thought, I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a business owner and, a, you know, someone who's working for the community. Um, but look, I guess in many ways, in many respects, it, you know, I'm a politician, um, but I think primarily I am working for the community. I, I'm not really at this point wanting to take it any further, but who, who knows what's around the corner. Okay. So you ran as an independent? Yes, fully independent. Yeah, interesting. And so tell me your how you feel about community and creating change in the neighbourhood. Yeah. Um, so for me, I've, I've heard time and time again in Mooney Valley that the squeaky wheel gets oiled. Uh, and I think for a long time that's the way things were done. Uh, the people who uh, were the loudest were the ones who got essentially what they, what they wanted or were able to stop the things that they didn't like um, going forward. And I think because of that mentality, uh, a lot of what the community were begging for just never came to fruition. Um, so my, my mantra and, and my mentality is to seek a broader, um, a broader voice from, from the community, um, try and hear as many people from different backgrounds, different, different, different demographics as we can, so that we can truly understand what the community needs and wants at that time uh, and not just bow down to the people who, I guess, are the loudest, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I suppose when you say that, the kinds of things 
that I'm I'm wondering if you mean it's things like noise and liquor licensing, you know, that, that people want the neighbourhood to be, I guess, more quiet and conservative, um, whereas, where you, whereas you want, a, you know, a place for people to gather and perhaps there will be a little bit of spillover noise and that sort of thing. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? Yeah, look, definitely that's one aspect of it. Um, I think hospitality, uh, uh, night lo- the nighttime economy has all been sort of lumped into the same, um, I guess, bucket <laughs> um, with concerns around amenity and noise. Um, and because of that, you know, a lot of great opportunities for business, a lot of great opportunities for the community were, were missed because of that inherent fear. And I think fear of council to progress and make these sort of decisions because they're worried about the community being upset. But that's only because they're not listening to the full... They're not getting the full story, in my opinion. Um, and I think I think the way that we can change is by trying to listen to as many people as we can uh, so that we can formulate our ideas and, and get a better understanding of the community wants and desires as opposed to that, that small minority. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think it's so impressive that at, at a young age, not only did you, did you start a business, but that you felt that, you know, your voice might as well be heard and that you might as well be able to make change because, you know, why not? Um, is there something, you know, is, did that surprise you or did you always feel like you were going to just be a bit of a mover and a shaker? Um, it, it definitely surprised me. I, I went into the election with the best intentions, obviously. You, you, you run because you want to get elected. Um, but I didn't necessarily think that I'm, I would have gotten into my first go. Um, I was really lucky. Uh, well, I won't say lucky. I, I obviously performed well throughout the campaign. Um, I was one of, I got elected. Uh, I was the first elected to my ward, um, which meant there was a significant amount of community support out there for me. Um, and that and that sort of empowers me um, more and more to think that there is that big sector of the community that I'm, that agrees with what I say, that agrees with my feelings about how we should progress as a city, but they might not be getting heard, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I also wonder, you know, given that you were campaigning through lockdown and through, you know, severe restrictions, the traditional door knocking and that kind of thing wasn't really an option. You couldn't set up a table... Um, at the local shopping centre or whatever, in, as, as you might do in normal times. Um, so I wonder if you did more online campaigning and that, that, and that that naturally meant that your message got to a younger audience. Do you, was that? Do you think there's anything in that? I think so. I, I definitely ran quite a bit through social media. Um, but I guess my, my businesses um, are very uh, communicate very well to the local community. The Ascot lot, for instance, is very community focused, and, and so is Fizz and Hop. Um, we aren't, uh, we don't really attract a huge amount of people from around Melbourne, uh, other than for our big events. And so, usually week to week, it's our core group of families who we know really well. We've been able to sponsor local footy clubs, uh, sponsor local schools for their projects and their drives, and through that, we've gotten to know quite a lot of people in the community. Um, so conversely, they've gotten to know me as an individual, and I think. That voice, having the voice from the businesses, did also help a lot. Um, and so when people read my name, they, they say, oh, you know, he's the one who owns the Ascot Lot or Fizz and Hop. Yeah, so you're not coming out of nowhere. You've already got a presence in the community. Yeah, there was always a base that was established there. I guess I just didn't know how strong that voice was until I, I ran for council. Yeah, it's amazing that you were the first elected in your ward. That was a real endorsement. Um, so can you talk, Jacob, like Ascot Lot, your first business, the food truck park, 
can you talk about the satisfactions of seeing the changes that it brought to the neighbourhood it's in? Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't come easy. Um, there was initial some resistance to the Ascot lot um, that we had to work on. Um, but over, over, overwhelmingly, the, the Ascot lot just has so much support from the community. Um, we hear all the time, and, you know, I heard over lockdown and it was really heartwarming. A few people said that the saddest thing about lockdown is I can't go to the Ascot lot, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, for us as a business owner, you you always well quite often you look at look at your business or you look at the, the venue through the the lens of being a business owner um but it really gave me the opportunity to look at how the community sees our our, our venue um and it was so pertinent through lockdown how valued the ascot lot is as a, a safe meeting space a safe place to bring your dogs um and and uh, no judgment you know we we have a lot of uh, all inclusive events we have our weekly drag bingo um, which has been so popular, especially for the local LGBTQI plus community. Um, and, yeah, I think more so than ever, lockdown really made us realise how important the Ascot lot was for the community. Mm. Yeah. And then is are you trying to build something that builds on what you've done at Ascot lot with Holmes Hall or has Holmes Hall got a bit of a different skew? Like what, what's the idea with that? With that, it's a different neighbourhood, but it's not that far from um, from the Ascot lot. Well, uh, Moody Ponds, Ascot Vale, Flemington all seem to work very closely together. I mean, there's different commercial hubs for each um, each suburb, but they all work very close in tandem. Um, so I think there is a big overlap between our our um, customers, but at the same time, I think we're going to be attracting a slightly different bunch of people we are located right on the Craigieburn line across the road from Mooney Ponds train station so I believe there's a scope for us to get mm. um, people from the Craigieburn line um, you know people down to Craigieburn Broadmeadows to come down and enjoy the venue um, so I think there's a little bit of a different scope there for who we might attract yeah I think when I mean when I visited I found that it was I, I just felt like anyone would feel welcome there you know there was multi-generational family groups there was you know like people having girls nights there was people having guys nights there was you know date people on a date there was you know I was just there with a friend like it just felt very it did feel very inclusive and it did feel like it was a, it was even though it was a very new venue it felt it did have a very strong community feel I mean it's it's I suppose it's an interesting it's yeah the community has been such a focus through the pandemic and how we build communities in different ways um is it something that you, do you feel like Melbourne um, or, you know, Australia or the world in general has, has come out the other side of um, or will come out the other side of the pandemic thinking differently about community building and different ways that people can, can gather and connect? I definitely think so. I think through lockdown um, we definitely reflected on ourselves as being Melbourneian um, and I think that was a real sense of unity to all of us. You know, prior to lockdown, each area was known or each you know, you know Fitzroy and Brunswick were, were known to be for certain people to some respect I think maybe those barriers have been broken down a little bit more um, it definitely has in Mooney Ponds um, we're a very inclusive community uh, we're very welcoming we're very supportive of one another uh, and I definitely think lockdown's gone a long way to to um, driving that mm. So what are some of your plans um, for the next year, both in the venues and uh, on council, Jacob? 
Um, I think my plan is to slow down a little bit. I think after the year we've had, I need to, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to working on the businesses. Um, firstly, I, uh, we, we, with the release of restrictions, um, in November, we didn't really have, um, I guess coinciding with me taking office the last couple of months or the last month has just been absolutely hectic. Um, opening a venue to that size um, and ironing out the kinks while also having, you know, multiple Zoom conferences I need to attend for council during the day has been challenging. Um, so I'm looking forward to just getting the operations right in my venues so that it will allow me that more free time to work on supporting my community. Um, obviously, if there's opportunities in horizon on the horizon, I struggle to say no. Um, but I think if I say yes to anything more, David would kill me. Um, so probably just taking it easy next year and just working on building the businesses up. Yeah. And so if somebody does come to Holmes Hall and really have a, a thirst for getting on the beers, um, what would you steer them towards? Um, getting uh, in terms of food or beer? Well, you tell me. Just build, build the experience on the for me. Yeah. <laughs> getting on the beers. Um, well, we're lucky at Holmes Hall. Uh, we've got 20 beers on tap. Uh, we've got a mixture of, of craft and some more approachable beers. Uh, and I think we, we, we deliberately did that um, in token or in understanding the, the mix of demographic that we're going to get. So um, we welcome craft beer drinkers and, uh, you know, your dad that might not be interested in, in craft but feels like a, a Carlton. We don't have Carlton, but we have goat lager. Um, but we, we, we have a range of local craft. Um, so from token spirituers, uh, Hop Nation, uh, Source Brewing, um, my favourite at the moment, um, and I'm hoping there's some left when I get back there, is The Architect, um, which is an oat cream IPA um, from Co-Conspirators that we brewed with Fizz and Hop, uh, with our, our bottle shop brewed with Co-Conspirators, um, and that's going down a treat at the moment. Oh, sounds fantastic. Sounds just like what we need for um, Melbourne summer. So, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat to us. It's obviously your diary is crammed, so I'm grateful that you've made the time to chat to Dirty Linen. I'm really um, going to keep watching watching the way that you build community, both um, as a councillor, let's not call you a politician, but building community um, at local council and in your venues. I think it's it's really interesting and um Yes, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to be a, a big part of uh, Melbourne's uh, rejuvenation and recovery uh, after the interesting year that we've had. Thanks so much, Jacob. No, thank you. Thanks for having me, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. It's, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, you know, from a government point of view, I can... <laughs>